Good morning, folks. Juno Representative Andy Story is on the line with us. Good morning. Good morning, Kevin, and good morning, everyone. <laughs> Let's go ahead. And a and beautiful go. morning. Well, could not ask for better. <laughs> now, yes. Andy, we've got the election going on, and we wanted to know your thoughts of the primary election results that we're seeing. What have you been monitoring? Well, I, of course, um, feel I've just been monitoring the election results across the state, mostly looking at House races, of course, and uh, feel really important. And many people are saying that this was sort of a idea of how people in different districts were feeling about who they'd like to represent them. And so I think people are developing their um, areas they need to visit with people more. Uh, And, of course, uh, I have just, there's a lot of good people running across the state, and I'm hoping that people will be encouraging their friends here in Juneau and around our state to be talking to their candidates, um, getting their perspective on issues. Because I really want to, um, you know, it's so important. We're, there's a lot of issues, our economy, you know, solutions we need to work on. So we want people to come ready to work and uh, work together. And this process was a little different in that the it was an open primary, uh, whereas before we had to ask for either a Republican or a Democrat primary ballot. What do you think of this new open primary system we've just seen? I know people have a lot of different feelings about it, but I do know Alaskans have a wide variety of opinions, and so I think it's given people a longer time to look at the candidates now because it just hasn't eliminated people totally uh, just uh, party-picking their candidate. So I would like to think that Alaskans are really going to... uh, appreciate this process because it does give us a few more months to get to know all our candidates better. And I think that's really important. And plus we get to know all the candidates and it's not just if I was say a Democrat voter or Republican voter, I just know about my Republican or Democrat candidate. Now up to the primary, I can look at all the candidates and I'll have a say for any of them. Yes, very true, Kevin. And also, I've been hearing from more and more people that, and we have been, we're getting so stuck in um, what party, and we're losing uh, the fact that we're all Americans. We all want our country, our states to flourish, our children to work together and see adults working together. And let's talk about issues. Let's put away any kind of name-calling, any kind of... Um, charge situations. These are tough decisions, but we need to look at issues. And sometimes I think that's distracting us from really doing the hard work of making policy decisions. I wanted to take up what we may or may not see in the thirty-third uh, legis- the thirty-third legislative session. And I recall you had hopes to see a coalition house. Is that still the case? I think very much so. In looking at the results, uh, certainly I see uh, people uh, set to work together 
and I was encouraged by it's going to be very close in just looking at things, uh, which way it will go. But I am hoping, based on the last year's uh, that uh, tripartisan is what I've really been referring to it more and more because the independent party is uh, becoming so much more representation. So a coalition of a lot of different thoughts. It keeps Alaska moderate um, and taking all perspectives into account. And I think um, Alaskans can see by the good things that happened in this last session uh, that it has been uh, working well in many ways. And, of course, this is all set upon, you know, what happens with our revenue. And I don't know if you've been following it, but uh, we've had a, a big drop in oil prices this last month. Uh, there's been a weakening demand for oil. There's a stronger supply. And so I think the last time we talked, oil was like $128 at its peak in mid-June, and now it's in the 90s. And our budget balances when it's $87 a barrel. And so the people who are coming to Juno next year, again, we have to be willing to uh, balance the services that we need, the size of our permanent fund dividend, and uh, protecting our permanent fund because, again, the price of oil goes up and goes down. And we, in order to have business investing, people know their schools are well um, serving their kids. All these pieces need to come together. And I'm really hoping, again, people are checking out their candidates and sending people to Juno who are going to work well together. And I think that really happens in a bipartisan, tripartisan coalition. And I'm encouraged by the Senate. Um, I think uh, no matter which way it goes, I think there's going to be much more looking for a bipartisan uh, coalition in the Senate, too. Mm -hmm. And there there are an interesting amount of independent and nonpartisan candidates running, both incumbent and newcomer. Yes, yes. And in fact, for one thing we know for sure, there's going to be change because in the House there's going to be 15 new people serving out of the 40 because some people chose to run for a different public office and, you know, um, then there's no incumbents due to redistricting. Mm -hmm. And so we are going to have new ideas, new perspectives, but we have the same citizens in those districts who have a lot of... Um, similar thoughts that their past representatives heard. But again, we're always learning. At least I like to think we're always learning and learning from one another. And so it crystallizes hopefully on some common themes. And one thing that's really risen, and you've seen it from current administration in the governor's office to every party um, in the House and the Senate, is we want to protect our permanent fund. We don't want to overdraw it. And that has been a really wonderful thing to see coming together in the four years I've been serving. And on the permanent fund, uh, during the time between when we last spoke, a group has now officially formed advocating for a constitutional convention. And they're saying their primary thrust of doing this is to enshrine the PFD into the Constitution. I believe we've had this conversation before when it was being proposed in the legislature, but what do you think of it coming from a constitutional convention side angle? Well, um, I know some people are unhappy with 
uh, not following the permanent fund dividend statute that we currently have. But I think there's a better way to address that by uh, changing law or, um, through statute to some permanent fund dividend formula that the state can afford. Again, the largest permanent fund dividend that we can have, that we can afford. And going into the Constitution, having a convention, I don't think is the best way to do that because, as we've talked about before, it opens up our whole Constitution that is been a model, really, for other states. And again, we formed our Constitution, you know, the 49 states, after looking at all the problems that other states were having and wanting it to be clear and transparent and keeping our um, judicial system separate from um, being appointed by the executive branch to help to have more separation um, and more accountability and not to be a political um, appointee. Oh, there's just many things. Um, and remember, uh, it's a long process. If we have a constitutional convention, we elect 55, I believe, electors who will come up with what they think should be changed in the Constitution, and then we vote on that to see whether we approve that or not. It costs millions of dollars. It takes three years. And we are in a divisive time, um, and I just don't think it's the best time to do that. Um, so that's my um, take, and I hope people are really looking into that for themselves personally, what all this involves, and not one issue feeling so strongly about, you know, we can deal with that without opening up the Constitution. The legislature can change that. I saw in a candidate questionnaire that you were asked, what's the biggest need in your district? And you pointed to a stronger economy and to stop job loss. Could you expand on that point here? Sure. Well, again, it's kind of what we've already been talking about uh, right now is I want businesses make their investments um, based on if it's a private and a public partnership, really. The public and the private job sector really complement one another, and I think having a stable uh, government system, size of government, um, knowing uh, what services we're going to be able to provide to their employees, uh, knowing uh, that we have a like-sized government that's going to be able to take care of needs and not have people, well, we talk about um, services, you know, waiting at the DMV, waiting to get uh, our roads plowed, things like that. We have to have a certain basic services that you know your employees can talk, count on. And then when your investment in a community and in a state, you want to know that the state can take care of its needs. And when you know that, hey, they've got a plan, their revenue matches their expenditures, and there is enough revenue to make some strategic investments, that's a state that grows a strong economy. And our indicators, if you look at from the Department of Labor, we're losing a lot of our professionals. Um, a lot, I'm not, I'm, I didn't mean to say that. We're losing a lot of kids and our young adults in their 30s. That is the mm. biggest section of our population that is leaving Alaska, and that's not good because 
Um, they're looking at our state and saying, hey, it's up and down here. I don't know if it's going to be a good place to raise my kids. The job market is uncertain. Um, and so I see that as a huge need to put aside that, yes, the government's not going to be fighting about size of the dividend. It's not going to be fighting about should we have good ferry transportation, that these things are going to be taken care of. Yeah, and on ferry transportation, I remember the point being made that once that when you have that consistent schedule and folks being able to plan out in advance a future ferry schedule, then they're able to plan around that, like an independent tour company, for example. If the Marine Highway had that scheduling, then they could make that planning. And uh, just now we've been trying to get some more ferry service. We've been hearing from constituents about wanting to have a bigger ferry, better uh, to go up to the Klondike. You know, many citizens cha- uh, trained for that a long time. And uh, one of the, we've been talking to DOT, and they say because we have had this longer ferry system, usually we had more space for the Klondike, but we have had more people planning trips, and openings that were there for cars have now are full. <laughs> and they've been full for a while, and it just proves the point to me that People want to see Alaska through different means. They they are going to be planning better. Um, and so, yes, so important to do forward funding. And, of course, uh, with the ferry, so important. We need another mainline vessel. Um, you know, we're critical, critical that we are building a new mainline ferry vessel, vessels, because we need backup and we need more uh, scheduled runs. And we do, I was pleased to see in the uh, winter schedule that is up right now uh, for public comments uh, till I believe it's the 24th of August, uh, that our weeks of service, uh, last year our weeks of service were only 115. It's proposed in the winter to be 134. So, you know, that's good. Uh, we're still having some problems and we're short on staff and, um you know, the department is working on that. But we are moving towards building back a ferry system that we can rely on. And on the ferry system, to keep this going, the there's that Cascade Point proposal. Do you see the need for that to be developed into a new facility for the ferry system? Well, um, the goal of Cascade Point is to give more reliable reliable, like six out of seven days of service between um, Juneau and Northern Haynes Gateway, you know, one canal to keep that going. And um, and it's seasonal. It's in the, uh, you know, summertime. And uh, that, I think, would be very appreciative um, by residents. I think that there's big issues to um, figure out, such as if we had Cascade Point, how can there be enough, be enough transportation to bring all of the goods um, people would be bringing back and forth um, because of just it being farther out for people who are traveling without their vehicles. So there's key pieces to figure out. I know the Alaska Marine Operations Board is meeting uh, twice a month now. In fact, they have a meeting tomorrow, and it seems from just listening to it that they're sort of divided on if that is the way uh, they would like to go with recommending uh, Cascade Point. So I'm following that. I'm really interested in hearing from the public 
on what they think about that. I mean, of course, the promise is more reliable, affordable. It will drop prices uh, for people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are some key issues that I really want to see changed. I want more affordable prices, more frequent service. Uh, so following that closely. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break, and we'll be back. We're back with Juno Representative Andy Story. School kicked off this week. Uh, anything you'd like to share with families? Uh, I'm just uh, grateful for families, uh, you know, working hard to encourage their kids to have a good school year and working with their teachers and school staff. And I appreciate the bus drivers and all the uh, getting our kids to school safely and the public just keeping their eyes and ears open for um, younger people on the street. And I'm just, to me, you know, we've got the New Year, uh, New Year's Eve and all of our resolutions, but it starts with me with the new school year and uh, what hopes and growth um, our students can have and hopefully our schools providing uh, parents with wonderful support uh, to see their kids uh, just grow in their learning this year. So we're back and uh, I'm glad we don't have the transportation issue problems that uh, are in Anchorage and uh, mm-hmm. Fairbanks and the Matsu. And uh, as co-chair of House Education, uh, Harriet Drummond and I wrote a letter to the governor, uh, you know, very concerned about uh, people not having regular public transportation to get their kids to school up there. Uh, if we, if the oil pipeline went down, we would have all hands on deck. To me, um, this is a human development uh, pipeline breakdown up in Anchorage and Matsu. They have over half of the kids in the state. They've got unfinished learning from COVID, and if we can't guarantee kids can get to school to continue their learning, uh, that's a huge problem for us and uh, just the development of our youth. So. I'm glad we don't have that in Juneau. I've talked to uh, superintendent's um, office and some school board members, and uh, they do not have that problem, and they're um, very grateful for the parents and our teachers and all the staff uh, for working so hard for our kids. That's very fortunate. On, On the topic of school funding, though, we wanted to know your reaction to the guidance the Attorney General provided to school districts on public funding for private schools? Oh, um, yes, I, I thought that was fair. I mean, obviously, uh, we have been having the practice for some uh, curriculum uh, issues and things uh, families can buy uh, for years, but it's never been to pay for a private, private schooling. So, mm. yeah. I thought you were going to ask about the forward funding um, uh, decision that the judges just had, well, where that... we would have to appropriate two years of funding, or have to appropriate the next year's funding in order to do two-year forward funding, which I have been, you and I have been advocating as school board members for years. Mm. School districts need to know their budget a year ahead of time uh, to provide the stability that parents want, and it's our the legislature's job to maintain. Uh, you know, a public school system. And so this ruling, you know, we funded uh, two years uh, next this year and 24 um, with our extra oil money. And, of course, we'll see how our oil monies 
with the price of oil hold out, but we are in the mode of forward funding with that two-year funding. Uh, so we could just fund next year and we would be funding 25, and that's what we need to be doing. With the caveat, Kevin, that we funded $57 million in one-time funding, you know, for next year. And that is the a 4% increase um, to what we have been funding since 2017. And our schools have certainly faced higher cuts than that. I mean, higher costs than that, so they've had to make cuts. And so this $57 million in one-time funding must be continued for next year. Yeah, um, so and yeah, I, go ahead. I, and I and I remember back then uh, the headline was always whether or not pink slips were going to be sent yes. out, and so with this forward funding system, it can at least avoid a situation like that. Very much so. If we can keep that fifty-seven million, um, you know, in one-time funding to make that permanent, mm. and um, that's really critically important. And I'm hoping people across the state are asking the candidates how they feel about that uh, $57 million in one-time funding, which really should be ongoing because it's just really catch-up monies. And we have had studies done from the Institute of Social and Economic Research uh, comparing all 50 states, and we are now funding below average when you adjust for the cost of doing business in Alaska and what we have been investing in our kids. We're just, we're like uh, 24th, and it has an effect, and we're in a shortage of teachers and, um, you know, this not having a dependable uh, revenue is uh, that accounts for increased costs is hurting us. And then the movers. And we need to go ahead. <laughs> it just keeps adding up, <laughs> Andy. Uh, yeah. And, and then uh, the, the movers to Alaska not even staying as long, like you mentioned earlier, with 30-year-olds, folks in prime working age. So, uh, yes. Yeah, very true. So that's where a uh, defined uh, retirement uh, system would really help. And remember this system that we have had uh, bills on that have gotten good hearings and I've gotten good uh, reviews from our very own actuaries with the state of Alaska and that we could switch to a hybrid um, defined contribution, defined benefit system, and uh, we would actually save uh, money over, I think it's a six-year period, save $10 million. Mm. And that's really important for people to know. Of course, it's not going back to the old system we have. The benefits um, are not uh, the Cadillac, but they are still, it's a divine benefit, and it's still very worthwhile. Well, before we close out here, I've seen that you've issued a number of in-memoriams and citations to folks. Would you mind sharing some of those? Uh, sure. Um, we um, did uh, in memoriam legislative citations that we've done um, for uh, just recently, one for Ruben Yost, who's a longtime uh, community member who worked for um, Department of Transportation and DOT, worked on the Alaska class ferries, uh, worked on on Juno Access, and wonderful community member, 25-year member of Meals on Wheels, uh, delivering them faithfully to our seniors. Uh, Roy Smith, uh, who we lost uh, last year to, a wonderful fisherman, wonderful community member, um, very active um, in advocating for keeping clean water, air, um, this beautiful environment that we have. Uh, 
And then we've done a couple legislative citations honoring citizens uh, like Lillian Petershore, who has dedicated her life um, to uh, making sure our we know about um, our uh, the history of this place, the first people here, that we are bringing back um, the language, our place names, that we continue to uh, stress our children learning about um, our culture, their heritage, standing up for civil rights for all. Uh, Nancy DeCherney was just honored for her arts uh, uh, expanding the jack from one employee to 20 now, the Juno Arts and Humanities Council, and just being a leader statewide um, in many arts things that help um, help us relax a little bit in this time of COVID. And just have, we all appreciate the arts. And, of course, we can't forget our youth. Uh, we had uh, awarded several hockey teams who um, got uh, first place in the statewide um Hockey Association Championships and the 16 and under won uh, hockey team, uh, won uh, the state championship this last year. So just uh, been been some really wonderful things to honor and draw attention to. And there are more, but uh, I want to remind everybody, football game tomorrow night, uh, 3 p.m. at Dare Kennedy Field tomorrow afternoon. And I think in the poll, we're rated third, and we're be playing Bartlett, uh, the fourth-seeded team. So for our Juno football team, it should be a fun and nice afternoon to go around. And I like to walk around the track when I'm, I'm there, but I hope we can come go out and support our kids. Well, I'm sure we could have a whole other program about the awesome folks here in Juno, but we are out of time, Andy. But thank you for joining us. Thank you, Kevin. Have a good day, everybody. Enjoy that sunshine. You too.